All right, 10.30, how are we? We're good? Packed house, everybody got enough room around them? Okay, if your answer is no, come at nine. Okay, we got plenty of room at nine o'clock. So, uh, hey, glad to be here with you guys. Uh, week two of Simplexity is happening today. Last week, we kicked this series off, and in case you were not here, um, I, I want to go ahead and just catch you up quickly by sharing with, uh, with you a quote that I shared last week, and uh, hopefully this will kind of put into perspective what this series is all about, okay? This quote is from the famous actor John Wayne, and he's known for having said this at one point in his life, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid, that's right. I love it. That's a great quote, isn't it? And it's a great quote because it's a true quote. I don't think anybody in the room, um, no matter if you're a Christian, not a Christian, if you've been in church all your life, or if this is your first time in church ever, like I don't think any of us want to argue that life is not hard at times, right? I mean, marriage stuff is hard at times. Kids stuff is hard at times. Job stuff is hard at times. School stuff is hard at times. Relationship stuff is really hard at times. But what we can't miss is this, is that you and I all have an ability to make life harder than it already is. Like life can be really complex, frustrating, complicated, but every single one of us has an ability to make what's already hard, complicated, and complex in life even harder, more complex, and more complicated. And the way that we do that is simple. Here it is. By making very unwise, poor, or as our good friend John Wayne says, stupid decisions. And so the goal of this series is really, really simple, okay? Um, what we're doing over the next few weeks is opening the Bible together to a book called Proverbs in which we find just tidbits of simple wisdom that we believe if you'll take it and apply it to your life, it will help you to make wise decisions and it'll help you to spare yourself the consequences that come as a result of making unwise decisions. So now that we're all caught up, I want you to grab your Bible if you have it. If, uh, if you've got a phone with a Bible app on it, a, an iPad, something like that with a Bible app, grab it. And if you don't have any of those things, then you can feel free to follow along up on the screens with us today, okay? Now as you're getting to Proverbs 4, I want to give you some background on what we're getting ready to read because it's going to help us to unpack so much truth from this one simple statement that we're focusing in on today, all right? In Proverbs 4, Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, he's remembering and recalling things that his dad passed along to him over the course of his life. Now, here's some Bible trivia for you. Who was Solomon's dad? David, right? The great King David was Solomon's dad. And if you know anything about David, you know that he was, as the Bible calls him, a man after God's own heart, but that he was also a man that at times in his life made some pretty dumb, unwise decisions. Like King David was a guy who understood firsthand what it looked like and what it meant to have an ability to send your life spinning out of control due to poor, unwise Decisions And probably the most famous, well-known story from the Bible about David's unwise decision-making ability is the story in which he meets Solomon's mom, 
Bathsheba for the very first time, all right? Now, if you want to read the story, the whole story for yourself, you can do that later on. Um, You can find it in 2 Samuel 11. But this morning, I'm going to just give you the paraphrased version, okay? Here's the story. David at this time in 2 Samuel 11, he's the king over Israel. And his army, the army of Israel, they're away at battle. Now, what should have happened is David should have been with his army because He's the king and the leader of his army, but he decided he was going to skip out on this battle for whatever reason, and he stays home. And one afternoon, we read that David, he was taking a walk around his palace up on the roof of his house, and he looks across the way, and he sees this woman, this naked woman, the Bible says, bathing on her roof. And the Bible actually says that this woman, she was beautiful, okay? In the Hebrew, that means she was smoking hot, okay? Um, Not really, that's just my translation of it. But she was fine, she was gorgeous, okay? And so he's on the roof, he sees this beautiful naked woman across the way, bathing on her roof, and he instantly thinks to himself, I have got to find out who that woman is. And so he he sends some of his servants over to her house, and they bring back word that this woman, her name is Bathsheba, and she's actually married to a soldier in David's army. But David decides he doesn't care, right? Like he's the king, he can do what he wants. And so he tells his servants, you bring her here to me. And he ends up sleeping with this married woman. Now, things get worse, okay? Because um, shortly after they sleep together, Bathsheba, she comes running back to David and she tells David that she's pregnant. Now, anybody with a brain, because her husband's away at war, right? Anybody with a brain is gonna be able to do the math and figure out that her husband is not the one who got her pregnant with this baby. And so David, he knows, man, that he's got to do something to cover up what he's done. So he snaps into the mode that men, we know what it's like to snap into this mode when something's wrong. He goes into fix-it mode immediately. And he's trying to come up with some plan um, in, in which he can cover up what he's done and make it look like he's not the one that got this lady pregnant. So here's the plan he comes up with. He decides that he's going to bring her husband, and his name is Uriah. He's going to bring her husband, Uriah, back home from battle. And David's thinking, if I bring the soldier home, I mean, he's going to come home. He's going to get some rest. He'll sleep with his wife. I mean, he's been away for a while. And then everyone will just naturally assume that he's the one that got her pregnant, and it wasn't me. And so he brings Uriah home. Now, um, his plan doesn't really go as he had planned, okay? Because Uriah comes back. And he meets David and he tells David, I can't go home and sleep with my wife. He says, the reason I can't do that is because all my buddies, all the other soldiers, they're out on the battlefield killing it in war, sleeping outside. He said, man, I got to be loyal to you as my king, David, and I got to be loyal to those guys. So I'm just going to sleep here on your porch. I'll, I'll wait here. Okay, I'll be fine. And so David, you know, he's like, well, this isn't going like I had hoped. And so he comes up with another step to his plan. And here's the next step. He decides he's going to get Uriah drunk the next day. Okay, so he invites him to a meal, gets him wasted, and thinks to himself, if I get this guy drunk enough, he'll go home and sleep with his wife. Like, people do dumb stuff when they're really drunk, and so he'll forget the loyalty thing and about his friends, and he'll go sleep with his wife. And so I don't know if Uriah, like, if he wasn't drunk enough, or if he was just way too drunk to actually make it home. But we know from the story that he crashes again that night on David's porch. He doesn't go home. He doesn't sleep with his wife. And so David realizes he's in trouble. He's going to be found out. So here's the next step. He comes up with a final plan. 
He comes up with this grand scheme, and here's what he decides to do. He decides that he's going to send Uriah back into battle, but before he goes, he puts a letter in his hand. And this letter is addressed to a guy named Joab. He's the commander of the Israeli army on the ground. And in this letter, David tells Joab that when Uriah comes back to battle, that he wants him to put Uriah on the very front lines of the battlefield so that he'll be killed in war. And again, David's just thinking to himself, everybody knows he's been home. If he goes out there, he dies in battle. People will just assume he slept with his wife while he was home. I don't have to explain anything away. He's not alive to say he didn't sleep with his wife. All will be good. Now, can you think with me just for a moment about how messed up this is? Right? Like in just a few short weeks, David He goes from being this great king that everybody admires, everybody respects, to being a man who sleeps with a married woman, gets her pregnant, comes up with a scheme to to undo his lies. And then when that doesn't work, he kills a guy. Like one poor, unwise, stupid decision led David to becoming an adulterer, a compulsive liar, and a premeditating murderer. Like, talk about jacking your life up. Talk about making some decisions that make life way harder than it actually needs to be. Like, David understood the consequences of unwise decision-making. So I say all that about David to say this. I think that it's worth our time to give David's words this morning to his own son some attention. Like, I think David's probably a guy who understands what it looks like to make wise decisions out of his understanding of the consequences that invade a person's life when they make poor, unwise decisions. And in Proverbs chapter 4, we find proof of this. Um, Throughout this chapter, Solomon's recalling that his dad, David, told him things like, be wise in all you do. Remember all that you've been taught. Um, Don't pursue evil things but choose to pursue godliness and righteousness. And then we get down to verse 23 in Proverbs 4, and David, uh, or I'm sorry, Solomon recalls to mind one of the most important things that David ever shared with him. And here's what he says. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Or some of your Bible translations may say it like this. It might say, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. And why? for from it flows the springs of life. Now, in Jewish culture, the Jewish people believed that the heart was the center of a person's being. They believed that the heart was responsible not only for emotions and desires that a person would feel, but they also believed that the heart was responsible for the thoughts a person would think and ultimately the choices that a person would make. This is why in this verse, David is so adamant about his son hearing these words, guard your heart, guard your heart, because according to him, he believes that everything about a person is determined by and flows out of their heart. Let me just say it like this. According to this scripture, the thoughts that you think, the emotions that you feel, and the choices that you make ultimately make who you are as a person. This is one huge reason why David is so adamant about his son getting this guard your heart above everything else in life guard it and protect it but not only that he's adamant about this as well because again as i've already said he was a guy who understood the dangers 
of not guarding your heart, of not protecting your emotions, not protecting your thinking, not protecting and guarding the choices that you make on a daily basis. Um, If you're taking notes this morning, I want to offer up just a simple statement that I would encourage you to write down, put somewhere um, where you'll see it, be reminded of this. And I think this captures the danger of choosing to not guard our hearts, okay? Let me give you this statement, then I'll explain it, okay? Write this down. Unguarded emotions lead to unreasonable thinking resulting in unwise choices. What's so dangerous about not guarding your heart, not protecting your thoughts, your emotions, and your choices? Well, it's here. Unguarded emotions can lead to unreasonable thinking resulting in unwise choices. Think with me again about David's story where we see this to be true, right? David was a guy, he's on his roof, he sees a naked woman. And instead of guarding his emotions and his feelings by turning around and walking back into his house, what does he do? He stands there and he looks at her long enough in order to feel something that causes him to think, I have to have that woman. And I don't care if she's married and I don't care that she's not married to me. I have to sleep with her and I need to sleep with her right now. So again, he let his guard down. Unguarded emotions led to unreasonable thinking, which resulted in a very unwise choice to sleep with a married woman and he ends up getting her pregnant. Now that's not where it stops, right? Because when he finds out she's pregnant, what does he do? He fears being found out. Like instead of being a man, and just owning up to what he's done wrong and say, man, I've blown it. I screwed up. Here's what I've done. He lets the fear, this emotion of fear, he lets it overtake him. He lets his guard down. He doesn't want to be found out. And that leads him to these thoughts of how do I cover this up? How can I lie my way out of this? I'll bring him home. I'll get him to sleep with his wife so that nobody thinks it's me. And when that doesn't work, what happens? He makes a very unwise choice to kill this woman's husband that he slept with. Prime example of unguarded emotions leading to unreasonable thinking, resulting in very, very unwise choices. Some of us in the room, we hear that and we go, I know what that's like, right? Because you've experienced this in your life. Maybe some of you are in the room right now and you're living with the consequences of this statement in some way. Like maybe you have let your guard down when it comes to emotions and feelings. You've started thinking some stuff that doesn't really capture who you are for some reason. And you've made some choices that are very unwise, very poor. And you feel like right now you're heading down a disastrous road. Maybe some of you, you know some people, some friends, some family members that are doing this very thing. Dangerous to let your guard down when it comes to your emotions, your thoughts, and your choices. Now, I just want us to stop for a moment and consider together how different this advice that David gave to guard your heart, how different it is from the advice that we hear in the world in which we live today. Like our world and our culture, um, they don't tell us to guard our hearts, do they? Like what do they tell us to do when it comes to our hearts? Ah, there it was. See, I don't even have to tell you. You already know. Like everybody out there tells us, don't worry about guarding your hearts. Just Follow your hearts. Whatever you feel like doing and whatever you feel is best for you, just go for that. Um, Whatever you think is right and whatever you think is best for your situation in your life, you just do that. Whatever choice you want to make for you, choose that and don't let anybody get in the way of you choosing to live and to act and to do whatever it is you want to do. 
But again, listen to me. I, I want to help you this morning. And so I just want you to know how dangerous that advice is to simply follow, it, to simply follow your heart without ever giving intentional thought to guarding it. You see, listen to me. Every single one of us in the room, our story can look like David's story really, really quickly if we simply follow our heart and we never guard our hearts. If we choose just to go with what we feel, go with what we think, go with whatever we want to do, and we never think about protecting and guarding emotions and thoughts and choices, our stories can look again like David's before we even realize we're heading down that path. And so here's the big question this morning that we've got to answer. How do we prevent that from happening? Like, how do we guard our hearts? How do we ensure that we don't live in this place where we let our guard down and unguarded emotions lead us to unreasonable thinking and then we end up making some really bad, unwise choices? How do we make sure that our story is not David's story? I want to give you five really practical things, all right, and then we'll be done. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these things down. First and foremost, if you want to guard your heart, the first step is you got to receive a new heart. You've got to receive a new heart. Um, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts, they are deceitful above all things, and they are desperately sick. That's a really strong statement, isn't it? That above everything else in life, your heart is desperately sick and deceitful. So your heart, it's not well, it's actually bad, and it loves to lie to you. So your emotions can lie to you, your thought process can lie to you, what seems like a good decision to you in the moment can actually be a really bad decision because our hearts are sick. And why are our hearts sick and deceitful? Um, here's the simple answer. Because we're sinful people, Right? Like, nobody wants to get up on stage this morning and argue that you're perfect, that you have it together all the time, that you don't make mistakes, that you haven't done things wrong in life, right? Nobody wants to argue that. I think we would all agree, no matter who we are, that there are some imperfect things about us. And because we're sinful and because we're imperfect people, it's made our hearts sick. It's jacked our hearts up. And so listen, what we need more than anything else in life as human beings is new hearts. We need hearts that don't lie to us. We need hearts that aren't sick, but that are well. And how do we get those hearts? Well, here's the answer. One, I'll say this. You don't give yourself that heart. You know that? Like your heart doesn't just magically become well and truthful one day because you've decided you're going to try really hard to make it that way. Um, it doesn't become well and truthful because you come to church a lot or you do good moral things or, you know, you say enough prayers. It's, it's not about that. The only way that your sick, deceitful heart can ever become well is by God ripping that old heart out of you and replacing it with a new one. And how does God do that? Well, he does that when you make a decision to put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and to believe as John 3, 16 says that God loves you so much in spite of you, in spite of all that's wrong about you, that he sent his one and only son into the world to give his life for you so that you could confess and believe in him and never perish but have everlasting, eternal life. You see, when you come to that place and you finally say to God, God, I believe I'm a sinful person and I've got a sick heart and I don't want to have a sick heart anymore and so I need forgiveness and I need life and I need a new heart. Like that's when God gives you a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, he actually says, 
I can give you a new heart and I can put a new spirit within you. Translation, in other words, God's saying, I can give you new desires and I can give you a new way of thinking about life in the world and I can help you through giving you a new heart and giving you a new spirit to make wise decisions that are good for you and honoring to me. You see, it's crazy to think about guarding a dead, deceitful, sick, wicked heart, isn't it? Um, it'd be like a person who needed a physical heart transplant saying to the doctor, no, 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 don't take this one out of me. I'm good with it. Like, I'm going to guard this one. I'm going to protect this one. I'm going to wake up every day and go, man, my heart's good. My heart's good. My heart's good. That'd be ridiculous, right? He needs the doctor to rip his heart out and to put a new one in. And some of you need to stop today trying so hard to be religious and churchy and doing right things, all in hopes that you can make your sick, deceitful, sinful heart better, and you need to let God rip the old you out of you and replace it with a new you. That's what he's interested in. He wants to make you not a better version of you. He wants to make you a new version of you. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has Come, some of us today need a spiritual heart transplant that happens through putting your faith in Jesus. That's the first step. Um, secondly, if we want to guard our hearts, we've got to make a decision each day to renew our minds. To renew our minds. Let me ask you a question, see how smart you are. Um, what is the only thing that can prevent an emotion from becoming a decision? I've stumped you all. I'm awesome. Um, I'm kidding. What is the only thing that can stop an emotion from becoming a decision? Here's a simple answer. Your mind, right? Your mind. We have a couple of choices when it comes to how we go about making decisions in our daily life. We can turn our brains on so that when we feel emotions, we can filter how we feel through our brains to decide, is this a good emotion or a bad emotion? Is this a good feeling or a bad feeling? I feel very angry. I want to punch that guy in the face. Should I punch him in the face, right? Like your brain can serve as a filter to catch emotions before they turn into decisions. But listen to me. When you operate with your brain in off mode, it's very, very dangerous. Like when you leave your brain off when it comes to life and decisions and you only make decisions based on how you feel and you never use your mind then you're going to head toward a disastrous future. You're not doing a great job at guarding your heart when you leave your brain off. This is why Jesus in the great commandment said, if you want to love God, that you should love him with all your heart, soul, what else? Mind and strength. I mean, God gave us logic and reason and common sense for a reason. Some of us, we've got to choose to turn our brains on and to use those things that God has given us. And so again, we can make decisions based off feelings or we can turn our brains on and we can make decisions based off of what we know to be true, what we know to be good for us, best for us, and most honoring to God. So how do we do that? How do we renew our minds? Well, let me read this passage and, uh, and I'll give you a few ideas, a few pieces of advice to do so. Paul in Romans 12 two says, do not be conformed to this world. Um, in other words, I think we could almost replace that. And I'm not changing the scriptures, but I almost think we could say, don't follow your heart, right? Don't, be don't just do what the world tells you to do, 
but be what? Be transformed, be changed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God. My clicker quit working up here. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul's saying, if you want to live a life that's good for you, pleasing and acceptable to God, then it takes you renewing your mind each day so that you can actually have a mind that allows you to make good decisions, best decisions. So here's some ways to renew your mind. First, I would say wake up every day, preach the gospel to yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean, remind yourself of the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Remind yourself that Jesus came and gave his life for your sins in spite of you, that he loves you more than you can ever comprehend, and that he came to this earth so that you could have a new heart, so that you could become a new creation. Remind yourself each day that the old you is dead and gone, and the new you is alive in Jesus, and you don't have to live like the old you anymore. Like some of us, we need to let our past go finally, quit looking in the rearview mirror of life, and start looking out the windshield, right? And so some of you need to just wake up and remind yourself of the truth of who you are in Christ each day. I would say, too, read this book. Read the scriptures. God gave us this so that we would know what's true about him and we could know what's true about us. And if we'll get in this book and we'll renew our minds and expose our minds to what's true each day, it's gonna help us to really understand what lies are coming our way, unwise decisions that we're faced with. We'll be able to really make decisions, again, that are good and best for us. Um, A couple other things, easy stuff. I would say grab some worship music, like grab a passion CD, Go buy a Hillsong CD today on Amazon. Uh, Ask Matt about some of the worship music we sing here at Westridge each week. And while you're riding in your car, put it in and listen to it and expose your mind to what's true about God and what's true about you. Let it renew your mind. Uh, Another thing, and then I'll move to the next point. I would say each day, as the book of Colossians tells us, make it a point to set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are of this earth. In other words, remind yourself constantly that you don't exist and you were not created to live in this world, right? Like, I think it's a lot easier when we realize that this place is not our home to make decisions that actually reflect that we believe this place is not our home. Like, we can make decisions that waste our life here, or we can make decisions on a daily basis that show that we're actually thinking about the life that waits on us after we leave this earth. So renew your mind if you want to guard your heart. Uh, The next thing. This is big. Run from evil. Run from evil. For those of you in the room who know Jesus, uh, good news and bad news. Jesus gives you a new heart so that you can have the ability to discern what's good and right and best for your life and most honoring to God. But listen, there's always going to be a part of you that wants to sin. There's always going to be a part of you that is pulled toward what's not good for you. And the Bible calls that part of us our flesh, all right? But, but here's the deal. Because you have a new heart and because you have a new spirit in you, you're able to run from evil. Like you can make a decision not to buy into what's bad and disastrous for you, but to run the other way. Again, if you don't know Jesus, I would say you gotta have a new heart. You gotta put your faith in Jesus so that this is possible for you. Um, think about David's story again with me. How different would the story have been If we would have read that uh, David saw a beautiful naked woman on his roof and he turned around and he ran back into his house. I don't think we'd be standing up here associating David with adulterer and murder and liar, would we? No, we'd be going, man after God's own heart, great king, great guy, really smart, really wise. 
Um, but unfortunately, what David did in that moment is he ran toward evil, toward what was bad and disastrous for him, instead of running from it. And listen, here's what I want to say to some of us in the room today. Don't pull a David with your life. Like, don't run toward something that could result in your life heading down a disastrous road that's terrible for you and not honoring to God at all. So while we're on the topic this morning, let me just take some liberty and say this, because we're talking about David and naked women and adultery. Let me just say this, okay? Um, Men, this is why none of us in the room should ever, ever look at naked women who aren't our wives, right? And listen to me, I'm not trying to be all legalistic and churchy. If you've been around Westridge for any amount of time, you know legalistic and churchy is not our style. I'm trying to help you and give you wisdom so that you never end up in a place where your emotions are unguarded, you start thinking unreasonably, and you start doing stupid stuff that can ruin your life. Trying to help you. So, so listen, men, I would say to you, Turn off the porn. Don't go to strip clubs. If you want to sleep with your girlfriend, then just be a man and get a job and put a ring on her finger and marry her first, right? Like, just do that. But but listen to me. Things can go really bad for you if you choose to do the opposite. I'm just saying, don't pull a David. And women, I love you, women, you're awesome. But before you get excited about me saying that to the men, here's my advice for you. Just simple wisdom, Okay. Put down the Fifty Shade books, all right? Um, turn off the movies that have guys in them half naked who work out for six hours a day dancing around, right? Like honor and respect your husband enough and yourself enough and God enough to turn off and to give away and to throw away the stuff that could cause you to fantasize about men who aren't your husband. Like, again, it's not legalism. That's just wisdom, That's, again, me trying to help you not to end up in a place where you're making poor decisions, man, that are going to ruin your life. Run from evil. Run from it. And that will help you to guard your heart. Um, The last two things, they're quick and they go hand in hand. So let me give these things to you, okay? Um, The next thing, we'll skip through that verse. Receive rebuke. Receive rebuke. I just want to ask you the simple question. Who in your life right now can rebuke you? Like who in your life can call you out on poor decisions, crazy thoughts? Who in your life can look you in the face? Who have you given permission to to look you in the face and to say to you, you're blowing it. You need to get with the program. And if you're here and you would go, nobody can do that to me. Nobody can rebuke me. It's ridiculous. I'm my own person. I do my own thing. Here's what I'd say to you. You're not guarding your heart well, and you could end up on a very disastrous road if you're not careful. All of us need people in our lives that can look us in the face, love us well, be concerned for what's best for us, and have the guts and the courage to call us out on where we're blowing it. I have those guys in my life. You need those people in your life. I love the Bible because of how straightforward it is. The Bible says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or rebuke is what? Love the Bible. It's good stuff, man. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to make it a practice of shutting our mouths and listening to what other people have to say about us, right? It could help some of us. We need to be open to receive and rebuke. And lastly, not only that, but we need to request wise counsel. We don't only need people in our lives who can call us out on the areas that we're just failing in. 
but we need people around us who can offer wisdom, help us to see our futures clearly, correctly, and help us to get from where we are to where we know we want to be and should be, all right? Um, Again, the Bible has some great things to say about this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So don't only find a person who can rebuke you, but also ask that person to give you wisdom that can help you walk toward the future that you want to live in. Now, if you think about that and you go, well, James, where do I start with that? I don't really even know anybody that could do those things for me. Here's what I'd say. Get in a group here at Westridge, meet some godly friends, get on one of our serving teams here at Westridge and meet some godly friends and invite one of those people into your life to be that person for you, all right? Take that step and make it a point to guard your heart in that respect. So here's the question I wanna leave you with. Are you gonna be a person who just follows your heart or are you gonna be a person who guards your heart? Here's another question. What stories do you want people to share about you one day after you're gone? Like when somebody brings your name up 50 years from now, 100 years from now, what do you want people to think about you? Again, I think a lot of that has to do with the answer to the question I just asked. You're going to be a person who follows your heart or guards your heart? You're going to be a person who guards your emotion so that you can think reasonably, filter everything feeling that comes through your brain with truth so that you can make wise decisions that are good for you and honoring to God? Or will you be that person that checks no feelings at the door, turns your brain off, and you just kind of wander through life doing what you want? Again, I want to be a guy who people bring my name up 50 years from now and they go, James was a guy who loved God and loved people and made smart decisions, right? I want you to be that person and I think you want to be that person too. And so today as we close, a couple things. Let's ask God to help us to be those those people. And let's not just pray and ask him to help us. Let's walk out the door and take these steps that I've given you and put them into practice. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, again, I want to invite you right now to ask him for a new heart. That's where it's all going to start. So will you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in this place this morning. God, I just thank you for the truth of your word. God, that points us constantly toward what's good and best for us and what's most honoring to you. And God, I I just pray that you open all of our hearts this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to respond to you in whatever way you're leading us. I pray that some of us would be able to let go of sin in our lives, run from it, make wise choices this morning to leave behind things right now, God, that are so detrimental for us. God, I pray that you just press in on those areas of our lives right here in this moment. And God, for those people in the room who don't know you, God, who've never made a decision to trust in your son Jesus and in what he came to do for them, I just pray you make them aware of that right now in this moment. Father God, that you would show them, God, just how much they need you, not only in the life to come, but also in this life here on the earth. Listen, if you're here today and you're one of those people, you've never made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, I just want to invite you right now in your seat to say something like this to God. Say to God, I know I'm a sinner and I know my heart is sick, but God, I want a new heart today. God, I want you to forgive me of all my sins. 
God, I want you to give me eternal life and I want you to give me a new heart, God, so that I can think right thoughts and make wise choices that are good for me and honoring to you. And God, I believe that you can give me all those things through your son, Jesus Christ. So God, give me those things. God, I wanna accept those things as a gift from you to me. And the Bible says, if you believe and confess those things, that God will save you. Again, he'll put a spirit inside of you. He'll start changing you from the inside out. He will change your eternal destiny before you ever walk out of this place. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you pass from this life into the next, one day you'll spend eternity with him. God, for the rest of us, again, speak to our hearts. Use this time, God, to really change us. Father, we trust you for that, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.